We are absolutely on a roll here at the Ortho Show podcast. This week, we're featuring Amar Ranawat, who everyone knows is an orthopedic surgeon, joint specialist at HSS. His father is Chip Ranawat, who basically invented total hip and total knee replacement. His brother, Neil Ranawat, is also an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist. This is a great story about a kid growing up in New York, following in the path and the footsteps of his father, although he wasn't really sure that's where he wanted to go, but yet has really developed into an amazing career. Uh, we talk about his time in his fellowship at, when 9-11 occurred uh, and how that uh, brought him to decide to join the Marines, uh, where he stayed for over 10 years. Uh, it's just a great story about an individual who gives so much back to orthopedics, education, mentorship, research as well as the president of the Eastern Orthopedic Association. It's a moving story. I know you're going to like it. Hashtag follow the fro. This episode of The Ortho Show was brought to you by Thompson Surgical Instruments. Thompson understands the value of exposure and surgery and is dedicated to providing innovative, high-quality, and safe retractors. Thompson's new total joint table-mounted retractor system offers a versatile setup and independent retraction so that surgeons may achieve uncompromised exposure. To learn more and get your free trial today, visit Thompson Surgical Instruments at www.thompsonsurgical.com. That's www.thompsonsurgical.com. Thompson, the go-to retractor for all of your exposure needs. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, it's Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring the best of the best in orthopedics, and today is absolutely no exception. We are very excited to have Dr. Amar Ranawat on, who is a professor of clinical orthopedics at Cornell Medical College and attending orthopedic surgeon at the, the world-renowned Hospital for Special Surgery as well. And Amar, it is a pleasure to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me. I look forward to this. No, it's going to be great. So we always start from the beginning, you know, because I, I think that uh, everybody sort of enters the idea of when they're going to do orthopedics different than others. But I think it's probably your story should be one of the more remarkable ones as far as as far as the case. And for our listeners that don't know, uh, Amar's father is Chit Ranawat, who is sort of a legendary pioneer of joint replacement here in the United States and the world for that matter. So, uh, you know, so dad is, dad comes to HSS in like the late 60s or so. And when were you born? Like 71, 72? No, 67. 67. All right. So yeah. we're, we're, we're pretty close in age. So dad comes in and jumps into HSS and there you are, you're born. And so you're literally born into orthopedics uh, at the hospital for special surgery, or as, as uh, Seth Sherman would say yesterday, the hospital for surgeon's sons. I know that that's a little yeah. bit. <laughs> a fair share of us. Yeah. <laughs> a fair share of that for sure. But just, you know, tell us what it was like. I mean, when did you, for example, like, when did you know that dad was, was, was kind of a big deal in orthopedics? When did that sort of sink in for you? Uh, you know, he had fellows over and, and doctors. Um, I mean, I didn't really know what a fellow was in the very beginning. Um, just doctors over all the time. And they would tell me how great your dad is. And, um, you know, all I know is he missed my soccer game or he missed my uh, my ball game, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it just happened over and over and over again. Um, and, uh, you know, we were essentially raised by my my mother, who was a nurse. And they, you know, it was a doctor nurse they met in the city there. 
uh, like you said, the early uh, mid sixties. And, um, and so my, my mom was like the caregiver and, and took care of us and drove us around. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, the joke in our family was kind of, um, you know, I, I became a doctor so I could meet my father. <laughs> you know, I mean, at the time, and in that in that age, in that era, it was, you know, 18 hour days. I mean, they didn't stop. It was just a full on. And, and it was in the earliest days of arthroplasty, too. So, yeah, to be- and he had no cushion. You know, he had no family here. He had no, you know, so there was no safety net for him. So that I don't I don't blame him for that. You know, it, but it was uh, it was just, it was, you know, I, I, I sort of joke because I have uh, two younger brothers, one who's passed now and a sister. Um, and, uh, you know, I joke I grew up sort of in the in the poor poor family um and then my my brothers and sister grew up in a rich white family you know so it's it's uh because my dad had made it by then but when, when he was with you know when i was growing up he, he was still sort of on the uh on the cusp and your and your brother neil's also an orthopedic surgeon he's a sports medicine surgeon as well so obviously you guys you know liked what you saw or you must have seen that dad was you know highly successful and was it i mean was there a choice did you did you ever at one point or other say that there was something else i was going to do or was it just orthopedics. Yeah, no, for sure. Listen, I, I noticed uh, when I uh, perused your CV that you were president of your fraternity in college, and so was I. Um, and, you know, at that point in time, I was an economics major, and I thought I was going to go into business. And that's when Black Monday happened. And uh, I started to realize that all these economists didn't know really what they were talking about. And the only thing that was real was, was you know, science, was chemistry, was physics. And, you know, I really sort of had to, you know, hold on to something that I could believe in. Um, so I started, you know, going, I wasn't pre-med, so I had to like take all these classes and then I graduated. Uh, and then I did a post-baccalaureate uh, program to finish all the sciences. Um, you know, and then, you know, I told my dad one day, okay, I think I'm going to apply to med school, you know, and I, uh, the first time I applied, I had just the bare minimum requirements and I didn't get in. And then I, I kept plugging away and I boosted up my GPA and I, and I got in the second time. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, I was proud, but I was a hundred percent, a hundred percent confident that I would not be an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> so you're at Middlebury, you're three years behind me. I was at Tufts. So, okay. you know, we, we were hanging out at the NESCAC where all you have these yeah. funny, funny names for all the schools, you know, it was the Tufts jumbos and the, you know, Amherst, you know, Lord Jeff's and Lord Jeff's, yeah, Lord right. Jeff's purple cows, purple cows of, yeah. of, Will, of Williams, you know, did you play any sports while you were at the Middlebury or I did, I swam for four years That's um, awesome. and I played two years of tennis. My, my son's a big swimmer and uh, we always joke around about swimming. You know, it's the worst possible sport for a parent, right? You sit there for eight, 10 hours at the beat and your kids in the pool for like five minutes for the most. And you're actually hoping they're in the pool less because they shorten their time. So, you know, it was, uh, it's fun, but uh, swimming is outstanding. And we had, you know, great program there and Middlebury was an outstanding place, I'm sure for school. And I'm sure you have, you know, great memories as I do for Tufts. It was a just a great liberal arts uh, education for sure. So, so then you get into Cornell, you know, for medical school, you spent a year at Columbia, as you said, and you get into Cornell medical school. And, and again, at that point, it was like, okay, uh, it's, it's orthopedics or bust at this point, you know, and you work your way through and obviously, you know, it, it's got to help a little bit with the same last name as a famous orthopedic surgeon, but still you got to put the work in, you got to get it done. Uh, and, and you did. And then you got into, you know, one of the top residencies in the country, which is, you know, HSS. And tell us about your time there. I'd like to uh, maybe backtrack just a, a quick bit, because um, the, the school that let me in first uh, was Jefferson Medical College. I went to Jefferson for two years. Um, I had a great time there. I was also the president of my fraternity uh, at Jeff. 
Um, and, uh, but then my mother got sick. My brother got breast cancer. And that's what kind of compelled me to want to come back to New York, uh, just to be around uh, my mother. Um, so I did my last two years at Cornell, you know, the, the clinical rotations. Um, and I knew from the very beginning, like even probably second year, I was going to do surgery. I just, it was, that was within me. And I was uh, pretty confident I was going to do cardiothoracic. Uh, and then that all played out until I met those guys. Um, and I just, I just didn't like them at all. They're uptight, man. You know, they are so uptight. And then sure enough, the only guys I really liked were the ortho guys, right? Yeah, and they were, you know, they would work hard. Then they would go to the gym, they play basketball, you know, yeah. and have fun. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to do orthopedics. I can't believe this, you know? And I did my sub eyes over at HSS and they were great. And I made the joke about, you know, wanting to meet my father. Uh, but when I was doing my sub eyes, the, I met, you know, Dr. Skulko, Dr. Figgy, Dr. Silvati. And those were the guys I wanted to be like. I, had, I mean, to this point, I still hadn't met my father, you know, in a, in a professional setting. Sure. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be Tom Skulka. I was like, you know, Eduardo Silvati, these guys were like doing two rooms, uh, you know, seven, eight joints a day, revisions. Uh, so that, that, that's what, you know, really got me going. Um, and then I got this letter when I was applying for um, the match. And, you know, it said, uh, you know, we can't tell you where we ranked you, but we ranked you in our top eight. So if you choose us, you know, you got a job. And that was one of the, you know, I still have that letter in my, in my desk. It's like, you know, one of the, whenever I'm a little bit down, that's what I look at. And, you know, it reminds me of uh, all the hard work and effort you put in. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely one of the most difficult residencies in the country, if not the world to get into. So it was an amazing accomplishment uh, to have made it there for sure. And the names you list are, you know, sort of iconic legends of, of HSS and, uh, and all of that that's been passed down and you continue to pass down now to your fellows and residents as mentors as well. It's just an amazing place for sure. Um, so you go through and, you know, you're into the residency and, and, you know, your brother went into sports medicine and it sounds to me like you were, you know, attracted to the, to the joint side of things as you know, you, you saw in your, your, your time spent and was it just, it just made sense and it was just joint replacements is the way I'm going to go. I mean, it, it was literally everything, you know, like I, I started off in spine. I love spine surgery. Um, but then, you know, I went to spine clinic and then you realize uh, surgery is great, but they don't always do great, you know? And I mean, arthroplasty just fit all the bills. And as much as I couldn't believe it, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do, you know, what my dad's going to do. But again, I still haven't met him. You know, uh, I, at this point I was trying to emulate, um, as I mentioned, Dr. Skulko and Dr. Salvati and, and Dr. Figgy. And, and that, that was, that's who I wanted to be. And I, and I worked hard to, you know, to, to be like those uh, individuals. Um, you know, I, I, I tried to do the research. I tried to get all the work done. You know, my, I was with uh, Brian Kelly, who's now our uh, surgeon in chief. And, you know, we went toe to toe every day trying to figure out who was going to be the best. And it turned out he was, he beat me in everything, but uh, you know, we're, we're, we're best friends to this day. And, it, you know, it's been a great experience. And dad at that point was at Lenox Hill. So he wasn't he even was at Lenox Hill, yeah. Right. So you're training with all of these greats, you know, and dad's off doing his thing, you know, down the road in Midtown or wherever, and you're just doing your thing. And so you, you decide it's going to be from these amazing people that you're working with, these mentors that you describe, uh, that you're going to do arthroplasty. And so then, I mean, there's lots, there was a lot of opportunities and choices as to where you could do an arthroplasty fellowship, right? And so, so tell us about your thought process as to, how oh, no, well, that's there. when I got, that's when I got easy. So, you know, my father left to be chief. Uh, he went to Lenox Hill. And so, you know, what was nice was the five years I was at HSS, he wasn't there. 
So I was the only Radawat there. And the same thing holds true for my brother, because then I left and he came a few years later. So he was the only Radawat there. So that was, it really allowed us to, uh, you know, get out from the shadow. But then when I was, yeah, I only applied to one fellowship. Like I knew I was going to go meet my father. Like I wanted to see what it was like, to, you know, uh, and it was great from day one, you know, everything that I learned at HSS, I realized he had built or almost everything he had built, created, uh, you know, just all the, the tables, the, the approaches, the, the, the flow was, was my dad, even the way they prepped and draped. I was like, Oh my God, this is, you know, he, he figured this all out beforehand. I find it fascinating. I really like how you describe it. Like when I, when I finally got to meet my father and you mean that obviously in a professional standpoint, you're, that you're working with him now with this person you've always heard about, but now you're working and then you're really now gathering the respect for him, having spent you know this time at HSS and, and now to go and do fellowship with him. So we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsor, Trackable Med. This episode of the Ortho Show podcast is brought to you by Trackable Med. You work like crazy, but you make less every year. You feel busy, but it's not with the procedures you want. The problem is you rely on referrals, which are out of your control. Maybe you've tried advertising, maybe a new website, but there are always questions. Is it working? Am I wasting money? How can you get more of the patients you want on purpose? Trackable Med. Trackable Med was born out of a frustration with an advertising industry riddled with a lack of accountability to actual outcomes. With Trackable Med, it's all about the results defined as something you can deposit into a bank account. Results are achieved through an approach rooted in neuroscience, advertising, web design, and even appointment setting patient engagement solutions. Everything is designed with purpose towards your goal and all with no contracts. Find out if accelerating patient demand for your practice with Trackable Med is a good fit for you. Visit trackablemed.com and click on free consultation. Okay, we're back and I want to divert a little here, you know, because you're, it's 2001, you know, you're in fellowship with dad, you're, you're, you're really cooking along well, and you're so happy you've done it. And then all of a sudden 9-11 hits, right, which is about two months into your fellowship at that point. Yeah. And were you, were you in town? Were you working on the, on the yeah, day? Yeah, we were in and... the hospital. We had elective surgery scheduled that day. We did the first case uh, and then everything stopped. Um, and they shut the ORs down and we went into a mass casualty situation and uh, nobody came, you know, I think one person eventually came in with a twisted ankle, but like, yeah, it was, you know, there was no, no people coming up to the upper side and we saw the burning buildings and the buildings collapse. And it was a, you know, it was a very um, life-changing day. And then, you know, then for weeks and months after we could smell it every day, you know, that was the, uh, one of the crazier parts of it. Yeah. I mean, Lenox Hill is up in the sixties or seventies. Is that right? So yeah, 77 in the park. Yeah. 77 in the park. So you're, you know, about 80 blocks up from, from where it had happened. But obviously, you know, it, it must have really hit you profoundly um, as far as, you you know, you finish your fellowship at that point, you're continuing on, you're, but obviously it, it's there. And then you you decide to join the Navy, the Marines. So you got to walk me through this because I want to make sure I get this right. But you became a commander of the medical corps for U.S. Navy Reserve in 2002. Had you had any history with the Navy before this? No, I mean, I, I you know, I was born in New York City. They attacked my city. I felt like the least I could do was take care of the guys that were going to defend my city. Um, 
And my father-in-law, he was a Marine, um, but uh, I had no family or other connection. Uh, so, you know, I kind of like the water. I like boats. I like fishing. I was like, I'm going to join the Navy. I know I'll be near the water. I won't be like in Kansas and Leavenworth or something like that. So I, uh, I joined the Navy and then I realized I could take care of Marines. And so I joined the Marine unit. So you joined the Marine unit. Was that so? Was that in 2005 at that point, or or did that start off right away in 2000? It starts off right away. Um, okay. You know, and then you have to like, uh, you know, you get assigned to a unit and you start going, and then you know you, you have to sort of earn your earn your rank and earn your 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 place and station. And you know, most of the drills we did were uh, were uh, you know going on a truck and driving uh, down some road, and they would pretend we got some you know fire coming from one side, and they would all grab me and jump off the truck and, you know, four Marines would jump on me and, 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 and gang tackle me because I was the most valuable thing in their, in their unit, right? Like they could lose a Marine, but they can't lose their doc. So that, that those are our drills, right? Like over and over and over again. I mean, and you stuck with this. This is, wasn't a fly by night thing. I mean, you, you stayed in, you know, U S Navy reserve for, for years. And so how did, how did you involve, you know, as obviously, you know, president Bush and then, and desert storm and, and all of those things that were happening, but how were you able to continue with your clinical practice as well as be able to be in the Navy Reserve and your training and all of that as well? I mean, the commitment was uh, one weekend a month and then two weeks a year. And, you know, instead of going on vacation, I took, I did my two weeks and, uh, you know, I did some live fire exercises in, um, in North Africa. And, you know, I, my, my uh, officer eight year uh, reserve commitment basically ended right before it got serious and I was able to get out um, then, you know, you go from the reserve, it's called the IRR, the, uh, so you're still kind of, they could call you up, but they, they, they really haven't done that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I helped train the guys who got, uh, sent over there. So that was, uh, it was, it was a wonderful experience. And then you got the Navy Marine Corps achievement medal as well. Is that something you want to talk about as far as the, the- it was, it was on a, one of those two week, um, active duty excursions and, uh, you know, Marines are sometimes, uh, uh, great defenders of our nation, and sometimes they can act a little bit uh, unwise. And these guys were playing with uh, flare guns, and one of them shot themselves in the leg. And oh, no. uh, so we had to uh, do an emergent fasciotomy um, in the middle of the desert in North Africa. And so, uh, yeah, that's what we did. That's crazy. Good. And so, one of the other things that I saw here too, and, and which I, I really, really like a lot because I spent some time there my, as well, but. Despite your, your busy practice at HSS, you also had privileges at the Bronx VA through 2015 as well. Was that also sort of part of this, the, the, the process here of wanting to return to the veterans in the time that you spent? Yeah. So, you know, when I came back, uh, that, that's exactly, you know, there's a, we've always had that connection, our, our hospital HSS. And so I volunteered to do that. And uh, I went up there and uh, they have local guys up there that do primary joints and um, this bread and butter stuff. Uh, but when they had big revisions, um, they would call me up and I go look at them. And when I, you know, when I say like, Oh my gosh, right. You know, these crazy revisions up at the VA and, uh, we'd have to call in all sorts of uh, trays and backup trays. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a one case, uh, six hour day, but you know, they were, you know, it was only about once a month or every other month. So it was, but it was great. It was great. I love being up there. That's just an amazing lear- learning ground for, for the residents, right? Because there it's like, look, if you guys don't call in the equipment, if you don't have what you need, then the case isn't going to go well. And so, and the veterans were always so kind. I mean, we're, so 
you know, I was at the, the Jamaica Plain VA in Boston, where I was a chief resident, spent a bunch of time in residency, and they were just always so appreciative of the care that was able to be provided to them. And, and I always look back, you know, to the attendings that had helped us to be able to do these cases. And I just remember vividly, you know, it was an opportunity for you to really understand if you didn't get this done, you know, it wasn't going to get done. And so you really learned right. responsibility. And so kudos for you to be a part of that and help in the, in the teaching as well. So, you know, look, so- but you, you mentioned it because, you know, it, it, it does give our guys a real life, um, you know, because if it's made in orthopedics, we have it at HSS, right? So it, right. it kind of, it kind of uh, affects your decision-making, right? And uh, you don't always do all the, uh, the background work that you need to do, but when you're at the VA, you know, they don't have it <laughs> and they don't have it for a hundred miles. So, you know, it's so true. It's all pre-planning. I mean, Michael asked, we had Michael not too long ago, who yeah. I know is a, is a good friend of yours as well, sure. a colleague. And so he tells a story, you know, when he was in Pennsylvania, you know, there was like this little closet, which had like the implants and the instruments available. But HSS has like an entire floor with everything that's ever been made in orthoplasty right. available. So you never have to worry about it. You know, so we just got to run down the hallway and grab it for you for sure. And yeah, blow um, some dust, but we'll find it, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's too funny. So, so, you know, look, you're passionate about a lot of things. And, and I mean, I love the whole story about all the unique things that you've done to sort of get to where you are. And, and you know, you're, you're no longer, you know, Chit Ranawat's son. I mean, you're, you're Amar Ranawat, who's, you know, respected, renowned, and you're a mentor and you, you research and you're a member of society. And, and so how do you well, let, let me stop you because I, I have to uh, tell a couple of jokes, you know. So one joke I like to tell a lot um, you know, people will be like, oh, you're Dr. Ranawat. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not the Dr. Ranawat. I'm just a Dr. Ranawat. <laughs> I love that. Right. And then, you know, my brother's also a Dr. Ranawat, but you right. know, he's, he's had it so much worse than me because he'll go, you know, he'll go, brother, you don't know what it's like. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's the same thing. He's like, no, I'm the brother of the son of the famous Dr. Ranawat. <laughs> and you guys look a lot alike too. So, I mean, yeah. it's like they probably, you probably get, you know, mixed up between the two of you meeting all societies all the time, right? Who's who for sure. Which, 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 uh, which Ranawat do we have today? But uh, no, I, no, I love it. So, so talk to me about the balance, right? I mean, cause obviously we love operating, right? That's, that's, that's the fun when you're in the operating room and helping and healing, but it's also great to be in the office and care for patients and help and know that you're going to heal them. But how do you find the balance for, resident education, for research, for society membership, how much time you spend in all the, these things that you do? It was a, uh, an important lesson that my dad did teach me, which is, you know, you, you have to block out that time. Uh, it's, it, it's not going to just come, you know, on its own. Uh, so I would take a half a day on Friday afternoons and, you know, and, and leave that. So no clinical time. And then Friday afternoons became all day Friday. Um, and, you know, then, you know, every once in a while it became, oh, Friday is golf day. And then it's like, no, it's not. It's, you know, it's research and education day. Um, and, you, you know, you can get out at three or four and, and, and get on it and do some fun things. But uh, you got to carve out the time and, and, you know, and do it on a weekly basis. If you don't do anything on a weekly basis at, at a minimum, it's not going to happen. And it's the culture, I think, at HSS as well. Right. I mean, everybody seems involved in the idea of education. You guys are passionate about resident education, passionate about fellowship, you know, fellow education in the process of mentor. We spend a lot of time on evidence-based medicine, right? You got you to write the paper, you got to show it, especially in joint arthroplasty. You know, you can move the needle by like 0.1% uh, to be able to change something, to be able to do it. But 
I think that, you know, experience-based, you know, medicine, being able to be passed down from these amazing professors that we've learned from, I think is just as important, right, to be able to educate. We got to train, you don't train people, you know, to how to do a surgery, you know, you train people to be surgeons and healers and be able to, to adapt and do all of those things. And that requires mentors and one-on-one, you know, type of education. So, you know, kudos to you for recognizing that and then continuing to share it, obviously, you know, for, for your current fellows as well. You know, one of the other things that I know that you're passionate about is the Eastern Orthopedic Association. You're the current president. And, you know, I got, I got a, <laughs> so Arjun had me on for the podcast about uh, six weeks ago, which was a lot of fun. So that was great to be a part of it. And I, you know, and then Josh Baumfield is, is, a, is a, a friend too, but he dissed me on my talk. I wanted to get my laser talk down at the meeting for my CME talk, but they, they said no. So I'm, I'm not coming to the podium. I'm really bummed out, but I at least wanted to share that with you. But just tell us about what's coming up with the upcoming meeting and what's happening with the, with the society in the, in the EOA right now. Uh, well, we're going to be in Naples in, uh, in October. Um, it's going to be uh, in person. Um, we did it in person uh, last October in Nashville. Um, you know, it, it was uh, uh, just so great to be back uh, doing these meetings live again. Um, you know, we did a bunch of podcasts and a bunch of webinars. And, uh, you know, it's the world has changed and we're going to do more of these. But being in person and being able to go uh, out to dinner afterwards and you know, discussing ideas, uh, you know, uh, on couches in between the you know, talks, that, that's where ideas, you know, come together. And that's where lifelong friendships, you know, uh, can, can be formed and, and, and just revisited when you see the, uh, you know, your old fellows and residents. And um, so, you know, for me, it's a, it's a great family meeting. It's a, it's been a great part of my family legacy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I look forward to uh, the meeting. That's awesome. So, you know, we're about ready to close, but I did see a picture of a friend of mine, you know, we do our research here at the ortho show if we can. And you were talking about your father and how busy he was early on when you were younger, but I happened to see a picture and I believe it was with you and, and your son and you had been doing some big game hunting, if I'm not mistaken. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause I saw your son next to you with a big smile on his face and I could see that you guys were really bonding. Well, you know, um, you know, I, I joke that I, I became a doctor to meet my father, but you no, know, he did. He was a, he was there a lot, um, and he recognized that you know he, he had to make things big uh, when he was there. Uh, so every Friday after Thanksgiving, uh, growing up, we would go pheasant hunting, um, and we would drive out you know somewhere in New Jersey, um, and we have dogs and we shoot pheasant, and uh, you know it was just a great experience. So I, I learned how to handle guns and learned how to hunt and. You know, then we got busy with orthopedics and everything and training. And so for about 15 years or so, that all just kind of faded away. Um, and then my brother uh, moved down to Florida and we found this uh, hunting uh, preserve uh, and they were just starting it. And we joined and signed up and now it's become our family place for the last 15 years. And, you know, we go three, four times a year. We shoot birds and you know hunt alligators and deer and, and hogs and just basically anything that, you know, moves and, uh it's, it's great, but all my boys know how to hunt and fish and, you know, run boats. And it's, uh, that's my passion. I don't, some guys like to chase little white balls around the field. Um, you know, I chase birds that are flying in the air. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, look, everybody's got their passion and most importantly, you know, family and tradition, right? How cool is yeah. that? Now your kids are part of that. And did they grow up in New York? So to be able to, to learn how to hunt fish is not something that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you know? I, uh, I learned how to uh, raise rednecks on the Upper East Side. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, look, man, look, Amar, this is fantastic. You know, I really appreciate you taking the time here. 
you know, I want to personally thank you for your service to our country and all of the amazing things that you, your father, your brother, the Ranawat name in orthopedics has really been amazing for, for education, mentorship, research, you know, society membership. You've really made a huge difference and, and we greatly appreciate you spending your time with us today. It was my pleasure, Scott. It was great to uh, talk with you and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Look forward to seeing you at OSET with Kevin Planter and the crew. How's that sound? Perfect. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.